Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Hey friends, I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest, Barb Heller. By chance, we were introduced at our sister's event a few months back. And so I was standing in this small group of women who I'd just met and Barb was updating them on life's latest happenings. And I remember her saying to me, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. We just met. And then she kept carrying on. And for me, it felt like we were just old friends catching up on life. It felt like I'd known her forever. So today I'm so happy that we get a bigger pocket of time to really dive into all the things. Creativity oozes out of Barb and she dabbles in so many areas. So I'm so excited to see what direction this conversation is going to go. Hey, Barb, I'm so happy to be reconnecting with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Sure. Me too. Thanks for having me. Okay. So I thought since you have a memoir coming out soon, which is so freaking exciting, that a good place to start would be right at the beginning because our childhood is kind of what shapes us into who we are. So do you want to take us back and uh, give us a look into how it all started? Sure. So I was born in New York, like most Jews, and I grew up in South Florida, which also is very uh, common for Ashkenazi Jews who uh, at some point we do this pilgrimage to Florida. It's like a thing, um, usually when you're in your 60s or 70s back in the 80s, but um, in the 1980s, I should say. Um, but I grew up in a place where a lot of people went to retire. So it was a very interesting energy to grow up around, you know, like very slow drivers. And you'd sometimes like look out your window and see people driving like this. You couldn't see the tops of their heads. Um And it was a vacation spot. So it was very transient. And um, I, I lived in a really beautiful community, but I don't think I appreciated it until later on. Um, And it was kind of rural. There were cows near where we lived and today you wouldn't recognize it. It's like completely different, Um, but very pretty South Florida upbringing. Um, And my parents are really good people. Um, however, they, you know, just fought a lot. So it was kind of a difficult place to grow up because there was just a lot of tension and, um, I didn't know a day without fighting. Uh, so that was challenging growing up, but, um, they were very loving and I always had the arts. So that was kind of like where I grew and how I got to know myself. And I'm I'm always so grateful to my parents for spending a fortune on voice lessons and theater classes and theater camps and um, gymnastics and dance and, you know, all the things that would help me just get to know myself. And thank God I liked those things. And I have always been like a super extrovert. So um, it was easy to just kind of fall in love with the arts and storytelling and being a part of plays and being the lead in plays and stuff like that. And, and, and recitals. Um, cause that really was what I lived for. I was just always happy to like be out of the house and, and doing music and, and stuff like that. So yeah, that was like, that was pretty much my upbringing. And I have a great sister as you know. Um, and I'm also a big fan of her, even though she's younger than me. Um, but we grew up together and, you know, we were each other's like, you know, rocks and still are. 
and we had a couple of cats growing up. And so, and I had a, a ton of friends, but um, I was also bullied as a kid. So I sort of had like, you know, a lot of work to do as an adult, like figuring out um, how to crave intimacy and how to understand it and how to show up. I think most people have those issues, but I think mine were a little more pronounced because I really didn't have sort of either parent uh, sitting with me and really having intimate moments. So that was uh, a really big thing to heal from. And thank God I learned how to do that with friends and, uh, you know, other people in my life later on, because I, I had to learn how to do that in a healthy way. So uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of what the first part of uh, my memoir is about. There's It's basically in three sections. And um, the first part of it is, is about surviving my childhood. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that all. I love it all. And I feel like yeah. everybody can relate to this. I know some people oh, have good. like yeah. more work to do, right? Because I feel like in our childhood, everybody, once we get older, we come to this point where we figure out like, what do I need to unlearn? What do I need to forgive? What do I need to let go of? What do sure. I want what fills me up and all the healing that happens. It doesn't, I feel like with all the people that I've talked to, it doesn't matter if your parents, maybe they love you so much and it causes different like dependency issues, or there's, like you said, you didn't have that intimacy with either of your parents. So I feel like we all come to a point where we either decide or, or we don't go there where it's like, okay, I need to figure out what it is that lights me up, that makes me feel connected, that makes me feel alive, and then take the steps to figure that out. So you said you had people around you that allowed you to dive into that. So when was that realization for you where you got to the point where you're like, okay, there's some things that are missing. There's some things I need to work on. Um, It's a great question because it really happened uh, subconsciously. I I felt that feeling of like being listened to for the first time, but I didn't understand what it was. And looking back, um, I was 14 and I was going to theater camp for the first time. And it was in a beautiful area of Massachusetts where the trees smelled amazing. And, you know, I was used to growing up around, I mean, from zero to four, I had the, the smells of Long Island, which is actually a really farmy, beautiful area that, to grow up in. And we had four seasons. So I had that sense of like, you know, nature, but growing up in Florida, even though we were outside a, t- a ton of time, it, it always smelled like canal and you know, pond water and like man-made canal water, which is like the worst. Um, I can still smell it, it, you know, and there were bugs everywhere. It was like growing up in a rainforest and the, the ocean was really pretty, but you know, the, the smells of Massachusetts in the summer when it's still a little cool outside and um, just being outside and then running into a barn to perform and, and do theater was like amazing. But then in addition, I, was finally with kids that were like me. Um, And when I say that, I mean theater kids who were kind of nerdy and were their heart on their sleeves. And um, it wasn't a competitive theater camp. It was, um, thank God, it was totally divine how I even got there. It was like one of the, actually one of the kids that bullied me as a kid referred me to this camp. 
And then I found out that there were other theater kids that I grew up with that went there too. And I looked up to them so much. So it was like, oh my God, this like jewel of a place to go away to. And I had the courage to get on a plane and, you know, fly away from home for six weeks, not knowing a thing about it. There were no videos. There's no internet back then. I'm, I'm 46. So, you know, it was like 1990s, like early 1990s. And um, I just had this brochure and I had friends that had been there that seemed like they were healthy and okay. Um, but one of these kids that actually bullied me as a kid told me about it. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll, you know, go to this place that that they went to because because they're cool or whatever. And when I got there, they were not there. None of the kids I knew were there. It was just me. And I found all these nerdy kids um, and they were so loving and so sweet. And for the first time in my whole life that someone said, you're really beautiful and you're really talented. And it wasn't just coming from my mom or one of my teachers that, you know, got paid um, it was like from real talented, like artists from New York and, um, like summer stock and Broadway. And then, and then in addition, like my peers that were like, they didn't have any reason to, you know, treat me popular. And we all were popular. There was no like, you know, nerdy kids at camp. It was just all, everybody was accepted. And, um, and so that, having those conversations as like intimate conversations at night or, you know, being complimented with no ulterior motive. Um, that was like such a game changer for me. And then, and then really working on my craft and, and actually realizing like, Oh, there's a reason I was always the lead in the plays at school. Like I, I do have talent. I'm, I'm not just imagining it. And I'm really good at this. And, you know, some of these teachers like took me by the hand and were like, you should go to a competitive college for this. And, you know, you should really follow this. And, um, I'd always had all these lessons, but, um, and I was working on my craft, but I, you know, didn't take it as seriously as at that moment. And then I thought, okay, I really want to be an actor and I'm going to just pursue this. And so I sort of had this new pathway and like a focus for all this creativity and Um, and so that was like sort of the beginning of it, but, but it was the friendships when I'm really going back and looking that really kind of shaped who I was at the time and gave me like a, a sense that I, I was really loved. Um, and I always felt loved by my parents, but they just had a really interesting way of showing it because I was so afraid of them and there's so much tension. So it was like an interesting um, beginning of that, you know, healing process, like trusting these new people that were my age. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I think, I think that was the beginning. And then um, by the time I got to college, so it was like, you know, I had already been to to that camp twice. And then I went to BU for the summer and I started to have like real friendships. And then in high school, I had these two best friends, Terry and Rami, that like really were my best, best friends in, in Florida. It only took till junior year of high school to, to get them. But, um, that was like the beginning of like, okay, like I have friends at home and, um, and to this day, I, you know, I'm very close with them and, and consider them like, you know, it makes me teary. Like they were the first people to say like, I got you. And then, um, and then in college, you know, that's like a whole other, that was like, it's like part two where it becomes really challenging to go out into the world. And, and then my parents are getting, you know, separated and then eventually divorced. And it's really traumatizing because I'm 18 and, and entering adulthood and having like really no emotional 
support and then no financial support. And, you know, you could say, well, you're an adult, like you're 18, that's the breaks. But I was raised to believe that, you know, you're going to have help until you're like in your early twenties. So at 18 to have the rug pulled out for me was a really challenging thing. Um, especially flying around to all these colleges, my senior year of high school with my dad and him saying like, pick a school, like I got you, you know? And then it was like taken. And so here I am like 18 in the world at my dream school, NYU. And then it's, you know, and that was not the best place to have good friends because everybody was the diva or the Leah Michelle character from Glee from their, their high school. And so, you know, it was very competitive and people were just super clicky and lots of drama queens. And I was coming in with so many expectations and so afraid of still having those intimate relationships. So I was probably horrible to be around. Um, I remember writing to my freshman roommate and being like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sure I was kind of a pest to be around. And, you know, my dad had just left as I was leaving for, you know, college. So it was just a very torrential year for me. And then, and that was my intro to adulthood where it was like, them's the breaks kids. Like you're, you're on your own. Like literally you're just going to be dropped off here in this city and it's freezing and you're from South Florida where you, I don't even know what a winter coat looks like. And I have one coat, I have no hat, no scarf and I'm 18, but I don't really know to think, Oh, I should get a, a scarf. And even if I could think that way, I'm inundated with like uh, this very intense, you know, um, conservatory training where you're in class from eight in the morning till six at night. And there's very few breaks and, you know, I have no money. So I was living a little bit like, um, you know, a very poor person in this really prestigious school in this gorgeous dorm. And like, I had two meals a day and that was it. Like if I missed the meal time, I didn't eat. And I started having this really negative thought, which was like, oh, well, you're going to be an actor. You're just going to have to deal with being skinny and hungry. And so you know, eating disorders kicked in and just really, really tough freshman year of college. And then at the end of the freshman year, being told like, I can't send you back. So this really prestigious place that you've worked really hard to get into and stay at because um, of academic probation and all this stuff, you know, you're done. So then I have to think, well, what am I going to do now? And this is so not what I pictured on my vision board, you know, as a senior in high school. So uh, transferred colleges and and uh, and just did it all my, on my own. I had like two to three jobs and uh, took out loans and and said, screw you, parents. I'll just do it on my own. And um, and thank God uh, had a, a wonderful um but hard uh, college experience and and graduated like two and a half years later, like just goal, very focused, done and had no debt coming out of college, which was like a total miracle um, and got a college degree, but went right back to New York and, and pursued acting and, and just, you know, really hustled. Like I was really like, I look at some of my friends who went to NYU and I'm like, wow, you're so lucky. Like your parents really helped you all the way through. And then, you know, you, you had this like great thing at the end, you usually meet agents and managers and you sort of have a little like gentle push into the industry. And I was like, I've been hustling since I'm 18. Like I was already working on movie sets and it was, it was a blessing and and also felt like a curse. Um, but by the time I was 24, 
I had already been a starving artist for six years. So I know a lot of people can relate to this. I'm not the only poor college student ever, but I wasn't, my programming was that it was not going to be that way. So it took me a long time to really like adjust to that kind of, it was kind of traumatic, you know? And, uh, and by 24, that's when I really needed a break. (laughs) I was exhausted and very underfed and freezing all the time. And, uh, (laughs) and that's when I, that's when I, you know, sort of like part two and a half to three, I I found my love for God and Judaism and it like came in a really big way. So I don't want to like skip through your questions, but I'm, I'm just telling the story of my life. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it all. I'm like just in awe the whole way through. It sounds oh, like That's it sweet. sounds like you went off to this camp when you were 14 years old and you could breathe again. Like you could finally yeah, sit back and relax and breathe and be you and gain confidence and just by being you and showing up as you yeah. and getting that kind of validation that maybe you hadn't got before. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't need to be validated by other people, but sometimes it does something when you have mentors that are around you and people who you connect with and you, you love, and you just get each other for them to see in you what you don't quite yet see for them to give that to you. So having these experiences and then being tossed, like I can't imagine, because it sounds like you had a pretty lovely childhood being able to go off to these different oh, yeah. camps yeah. and mm-hmm. be supported and thinking that that you kind of had that cushion right like that right. safety net to then it be yeah. financially definitely financially absolutely yeah. and then it and I always knew my parents loved me even if they weren't looking at me or making a space or sharing way too much about themselves um, I always knew like you are loved no matter what, like you, you could really make a lot of mistakes and we still love you. But, um, but yeah, that, uh, my dad leaving my second month of college and both my parents becoming very, um, depressed and my mom suicidal. My dad is like with someone younger. It was just way too much for an 18 year old who's like going out into the world and has very few skills with like how to deal with trauma, right? Like who does? Um, It was a lot. It was a a lot to carry Um, financially, not feeling supported at all and really abandoned, like emotionally, like, and, and I think for parents that need to get divorced, I mean, look, it's like, it's a commandment in Judaism to get divorced. It's, it's not shunned. It's, it's not, you know, like, oh yeah, you should get divorced. But if, if someone's miserable or you're having like a detrimental marriage for lots of reasons, like it's a mitzvah, like you can get, you can get divorced within reason. Right. Um, but I think that most people would say like, I'm worried about my kids. Like I'm going to put them first for now, or I'm going to, I'm going to really make sure I take the time to see if they're okay. And my parents were both just like, I'm out. Like, I can't be there for you. And in, and in fact, they, they needed from me and my sister, which is really unhealthy, like to, you know, you're in this situation and then you're like, oh, my kids will help me emotionally. They'll, they'll just take care of me. And so we both showed up and did the best that we could to, you know, take care of them emotionally. And it was really hard and draining at a time when you're, you know, you're like finally free to like go out into the world. So it wasn't a small thing. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, you were older, so you could deal with it better. It's like, 
if I had had the tools growing up, maybe, you know, emotionally to deal with it. But yeah, it was just, it was like a lot of, you know, things coming together at the same time. And um, it made for a really difficult few years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you say, if you had the tools, I, I feel like now things are shifting a little bit, thank goodness. And some of the young people are gaining some tools and they're, they're out there and parents are really thinking about it. Even for myself, my little guy's eight and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, as he grows up, like my, my story into motherhood is like a story, but yeah. I'm like, he will know so much that he is so loved. And I mean, you said you're so loved, but there's still things about me that are going to, that he's going to have to heal when he gets older. So I'm like, okay, what tools can I teach him now that he can navigate all of this stuff growing up? So it's a lot more available now, but even still we, we don't, we kind of learn the tools as we go or looking back, we we can get the tools. So then you said you kind of got into Judaism. Is that how you say it? (laughs) Judaism. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so what did that do for you? Because you told me, I have to like share this when you said that you were before this conversation secular and then got really religious and then kind of found your middle ground. I had to research what the word secular was. I didn't know, but (laughs) I know how bad is that? No, (laughs) it's really not. It's a great statement on how part of the fabric it is today to be secular. It's just, it's like saying I'm a human being. Like, what does that mean? Right. You you wouldn't look up the word human being. You're like, I know that that's what I am. Right. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like, oh my gosh, that that's kind of what I was is I'm not even sure because I never had any religious upbringing, which I feel like, oh, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I just kind of got to pick and choose what felt good to me. Yep. And yeah, so I didn't even know that. So you were kind of secular growing up. Is that, that oh yeah. yeah, not kind of definitely secular. Um, and yet, um, this is very common with at least Jewish people. I'm not quite sure, maybe Christians and Catholics as well. And for sure Muslims, but like any, any organized religion that, uh, if both parents are a part of what happens is if you go back just a couple of generations, everyone was Orthodox, right. Depending on, on what religion they were. And so uh, with the, with the invention of, um, I guess, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the sixties, um, enlightenment slash, you know, now social media, uh, before that people would just live these religious lives. That's just the way that it was. And so it trickles down through our values. And, and a lot of people today are actually putting that down and saying like, Judeo Christian values hurt people. And they, they, they were wired to like see divine masculine and feminine, which is like antithetical to, you know, gender fluidity or whatever. It's like, if you listen to my podcast, I am super into, um, you know, everyone finding what works for their own soul. But I also am very much into those values being really healthy. Like, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful idea that comes from people having grandparents that had very strong religious values. And if you actually look at those values and how they still are so pungent today, 
that's a, that I think that's a good thing. I think I would call that benevolence. Now, when you add ego and politics and um, let's say toxicity of, of someone's ego, you can call it toxic masculinity, toxic femininity, which thank God is finally coming out. It's like, yeah, <laughs> by the way, women are, have shadows too. Right. Um, but I think like my podcast is all about the beauty of religion and how, if we all really embrace the roots of our trees and really sit in that beautiful earth of it and say, wow, like we were chosen to be in this group from something divine and, and, and you have different colors and I have different colors and you have different languages and foods and, and culture and music and dance. Let's share it and respect one another. Instead of saying, none of these roots matter. We're all the same tree. It's like, yes and no. And to me, like, you're going to throw away all that beauty and, and not get to look at the different degradations and shades and colors of similarity. Like you're just going to say it's all the same. We're just going to wash it all and say, it doesn't, none of it matters. Sorry. Like I find that super interesting. And I think it's great to say, you know, I come from these three cultures or this one homogenized group and I, and I'm choosing more. So yeah, I mean, I, I took my bat mitzvah money because I had a bat mitzvah and it meant nothing to me. Um, I sat on the cold floor of a, of a hotel during the the ceremony, but, um, anyway, like it, it was a really challenging time for me when I was in eighth grade, cause I was bullied so much and I invited all the popular kids. And meanwhile, my one friend I didn't invite, cause I was so embarrassed, you know, to have her as a friend, which is hilarious that, you know, nowadays I'd look back at little Barb and be like, Oh, I feel so bad for you. Like you couldn't invite your one friend. You invited all the popular kids to come so that they would like you. Um, but that was my 13 year old mindset, you know? So when I, I had these gifts given to me like 25 here, 25, 50, 35. So I took all the money and I put it in a stock with my dad. And then I, when I was in college, I wanted all my money back. Cause I said, I need my money and I invested it in Disney. And then that doubled. And I took that money when I graduated from college and I went to India and Thailand and Japan and Hong Kong, just looking for God. Like I was on a search to try to find that, which made me, I was not interested in Judaism because I went to college, um, at a pretty liberal arts school and, and was, was taught about how misogynistic all religions were. And the only little bit that I learned, it was really dangerous to learn a little bit about a lot of things and then say, I know all about it. Right. And so I graduated with this like minor in like world religions. And I, I wanted to see some of them in person and up close. Cause I was like, I think, you know, Hinduism is probably really cool and Buddhism. So I'm going to like go to these, these places and I'm going to become like a Buddhist. Right. And so I like sat in the earth and in India and Thailand and Japan and Hong Kong, just like trying so hard to like connect with God and God had other plans for me because no matter what I did, no matter what foods I ate or people I talked to, I just wasn't satisfied. And I felt like I was more on a quest and uh, I was reading the book, the alchemist. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. on the trip. It was the only book I took with me because I'm not so much of a reader or at least at the time, but it was like a thin book that I could just pop in my backpack. So I'd read like one or two pages here and there. And on the trip home to, to Florida, I'm reading the last page, spoiler alert. And it talks about how, if you really want to find your own treasure, you just got to go home. 
And it's this story of a man who goes all over the world looking for treasure. And it's right home. So I thought, okay, I get it. You're trying to tell me to go back home and that all my treasures will be found there. And that was sort of like my first moment of like, maybe I'll look within myself and and try to find something about Judaism that I like. And that sort of began my, my journey of really interviewing a lot of rabbis and really like going to a lot of synagogues and trying to find my place in, in my Jewish culture. And it took a long time, like from 19 to 22, which was when I read that book, I had already been starting to talk to God, but it was only when I was 24 and a half that that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to like go to a Shabbat dinner and I'm going to like sit with the most religious Jews that I could find. And that was sort of the beginning of, of that, um, that search. So yeah, it's, it's a very long convoluted story, but, uh, when I was 19 and in the middle of my parents having this like horrific breakdown and, you know, my dad's with someone else and my mom's really not well, my sister and I are having to call the, the hospital and maybe check her in, which thank God she never actually had to do, but we were really close. She was not eating. And, um, and so, I drove to Hebrew school and I I yelled at the rabbi and I said, I went here for nine months when I was 11 and you failed. And he's like, I'm sorry, what's your name? Like I'm new here. I don't know. And I was yelling and, and, and making a scene. And it's so something I would never do today, but I was really struggling and trying to just cry for help, you know? And, uh, because I I've never been into drugs, I think religion was sort of like, it made logical sense to me that there might be something there, you know, that could help me. And I don't know even how I got that maybe from my grandparents that were all religious Jews. Um, but, uh, I, I just looked at this rabbi and I yelled at him and, and he said, can you come into my office? And, uh, Rabbi Wolpe, Dan Wolpe, he, he gave me this amazing homework assignment that I'll never forget. And he said, I just want you to go outside tonight and I want you to talk to God. Like he's your best friend. And I said, well, I can't pray. And he said, what do you mean you can't pray? I said, well, I don't know how to speak Hebrew. I don't know how to read that book you have. He goes, no, 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 you don't need a book. Just open your heart and and pray to him. And I was like, him? No, this is why I don't like God. There's no such thing as a him. God is genderless. And you know, and he's like, no, 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 okay. him, she, it, whatever you want to call it, but the spirit, the universe, whatever, the Schwartz, you know? And I said, okay. And so I, I went outside and I, I started talking to God and it was a really profound experience to have that assignment and really coming from someone who believed. Right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't just blowing smoke. He really meant it. He knew that it would help me and it did. And so from 19 to 20 to 24, I had been practicing just talking and Hebrew, we call this, he where you, you literally like the, the Hasidim, the, the, most of them unfortunately were killed in the Holocaust, but there were like millions of these, these people that made it really popular during the enlightenment period to just speak to God without the book, just, and they were very, very religious. They would do it for an hour in the woods and then they'd go into synagogue and pray. And I think the world actually couldn't handle it. So a lot of them um, perished in the Holocaust because it, it just, I mean, this is like a, I'm going out on a limb saying that, but it was, it must've been such a beautiful energy that filled the world at the time with these great 
Talmudic minds going out and just talking to God. And so maybe we weren't ready. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't, can't hypothesize why the Holocaust happened. It's such a profound loss of life. 12 million people, 6 million Jews, a million children, you know, and 6 million other kinds of people that didn't look a certain way, but 12 million people perish these like incredible souls. Right. And, um, it's just too hard to even talk about, but, but I wonder if like, it was just such a beautiful happening of these people that the world was like, you know, it's too, like, we're not ready. I don't know. I don't know. But, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I decided to follow in their footsteps. Right. And, and started practicing this hispotidut and I haven't stopped and now I'm 46. So it's been a long time, but, and then at 24, I went to my first Friday night, uh, Orthodox Shabbat dinner. And that was the, that was the thing. It was like, I was preparing for five years to sit at this tape, sit at the table with people who really, maybe not all of them were on that like super spiritual level, but they were, they were walking their talk and I felt so at home. It was almost like that moment that you asked me about at camp where I felt such a big space was made for me and my soul. And that, that became the moment where if I could put a pin in it, it was like, that was the moment that I found like my place in that, my tribe. And it was very different than how I felt in India and Thailand because I felt amazing there, but it wasn't my home base. It was more like, oh my gosh, like I love Buddhism. And to this day I meditate and I love the memories I have. I'm so glad I did that with my money and I didn't just buy an Apple IIe or a car, or, you know, down payment on a house. Like I, I I lived, but I could tell you the difference, just like you could tell me like, no, I feel much comfortable in this church or this Buddhist shrine or this temple. Like there's places that our soul feels like, okay. And maybe it changes over time and you, you go to a different place of worship or a different family to sit with and pray with. But if we all took that assignment seriously and sat with different groups of people, we would say, doesn't mean that I like this one more. It's just, I feel drawn to it. Right. And so that was the moment where I went, okay, I, I need to, I need to go to Israel and I need to like sit and like learn in Hebrew, what my people have been trying to teach me like all this time. And I've been like, no, 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 no. You're all misogynistic weirdos that hate gays and lesbians and, you know, or pro pro life and whatever it is, like the, all the political BS. I was like, I assumed and I was wrong. And so, so yeah, so sorry. I've like went on a big tangent there, but <laughs> um, never feel apologize. free to edit all of this. Yeah. Uh, no, I just like, I just want more and more and more. It's all just so <laughs> beautiful how you. you, you left on this quest and it always comes back to coming home, whatever that looks like for ourselves. So you came back home. I want to know when you got this assignment from this rabbi. Yeah. What were you talking about? What was the first thing? Do you remember like the first words that you were yeah. saying or your first conversation with God? Well, yeah. I had just read conversations with God and I was starting to read this book about how angels exist. And so I was like, I had been talking to angels a little bit, right? Um, in Judaism, we're actually um, swayed not to talk to angels, like just, just to make it about God, because it can get really complicated and 
you don't want to bring someone back up from the dead. Like it's none of our business. It's also like black magic and all this stuff. So I, there were years until I figured that one out or knew about that. But sometimes I'll call upon my grandma and be like, grandma, I miss you, you know, but, and I don't feel guilty about it, but I, I really just, you know, God's the number one, right? Cause God is the oneness for all of us. Doesn't matter what you call it. Jesus, you know, Buddha, Muhammad, Moses, like however you get there. Um, but yeah, um, the first thing I said was, if you're there, make it rain. And, you know, Florida, it rains every day. Give it five minutes, it'll rain or it'll stop raining. And it did rain a little bit. And then I said, if you're really there, make it windy. And it was windy. And I thought, well, this could just be, you know, and then something inside of me kind of snapped and I just started talking and I said, you suck. Like, I hate you. And, and, and I don't care if you know it, but I, and I think the tears just kept going for like an hour and a half. I just, it was sort of like a, you know, a dam of, of, of water that had built up for a year. I just, there was so much to complain to God about, right? There was so much that I wanted to take God to task about and, and I let it out. And that was how I connected. And I always encourage my students, you know, whether I'm working with little kids or, or elderly, cause I work with all kinds of people like yell it out. Like, don't just be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like let it out, like talk to God, like God's your parent, because that's what got it. And that was so helpful for me at the time. Like, regardless of whether I respected my parents, I always sort of, you know, looked at them like they were the end of like the the highest level of like who I could ask for advice, even if I didn't really ask them. And so when I started talking to God, I was like, there was this shift that happened where I thought, well, God's their parent. So I'm talking to the parent of my parents. And that was so helpful because it was like a paradigm shift later on when I would go to yeshiva in Israel one of my own assignments that I gave myself, I'm really good at giving myself homework. And that's probably why I'm a good teacher is I love homework, but um, is that the whole year that I was there, my first year was I'm going to learn all the laws because there's a ton of them in how to honor your mother and father. Cause that's the, I know that that is a sticking point for me and it's stopping me from having a boyfriend and it's stopping me from getting on with my life. Cause I'm so angry at them because I have what to be angry. Right about. And so I learned those laws and it was so freeing because if you're commanded by the Holy, whatever you want to call it, then, and you have commandments to honor your parents, you know, it doesn't say to love them. doesn't even say you have to like them, but you have to give them proper burial. You have to not speak poorly about them. You can't interrupt them. If they take your money, you have to let them like, there's all these weird kooky, you know, um, interesting laws of, you know, you have to get up when they walk in the room, you have to feed them and clothe them if they can't clothe and feed themselves. Like these are beautiful things that if you asked any secular person on the street, like, what have you done for your parents lately? All I hear about from people is how much they hate their parents or how much they annoy them. And no one's saying like, you gave me life. I'm so grateful unless they have a really good relationship. Um, which unfortunately, like today I've, I've just see so much backlash with you know, teens and parents and 20 somethings and parents and, oh, they're so archaic and they're practicing these old values. And it's like, they gave you life, right? That was enough. Even if they were abusive. I mean, I'm not saying like, hang out. And I talk a lot about this in the book that 
I come from domestic abuse, so it's a very sensitive thing. And, uh, you know, I've been very lucky to, I guess, have enough love in my life and people that I really admire who have encouraged me to foster a really good relationship with both my parents, but I've done some really deep healing work with them. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. And it's so important, right? Even if you are in a relationship uh, with somebody who was abusive, you know, God forbid, physically, sexually, it really depends on, on, on you and, and what your comfort level is. And also legally, like what you feel you're supposed to create with the, with this person, but you can even do it from afar, right? You can allow yourself that, that unconditional love from God that you say it, it is what I chose it is what my soul needed to be in this as painful as it is, right? Someone might say to me, oh my God, like I have a lot of people that are like not fans of what I teach. And that's totally fine. Like go find another teacher that works for you. I am not God. I'm just saying what worked for me. But in my short 46 years, when I started healing with my parents and thanking God for all of it, all of it, every moment that was tense, whatever happened to me had to be for me. And it's something I chose. And once I got to that place, oh, was there a relief? Was there no more suffering? And I have friends, right? And students and colleagues that are like, yeah, that's great for you, but I'm still pissed off. And, you know, they all talk like this and there's the arms come up and, you know, I just can't forgive it. Nope. You know, it's like their whole face looks like they're in disease, right? And they may have gastrointestinal issues and I'm so not judging them. I'm totally a hologram of them. And I lived that way for so long. So I can make fun of myself. I don't really know what anyone else's issues are. I can only talk about my own. But the day that I started saying, what if I let go of this anger? What if I let go of the hurt and the pain and just tolerated that it was for me? Ooh, that's a scary thought. And if you're listening right now, I hope you don't hate me for saying this, but just see if you could breathe into that for a second. And then I thought it wasn't a mistake, right? God doesn't make mistakes. So if I chose these two people who really were kind of short-sighted a lot of the time when I was little and made some really interesting choices, but gave me, gifted me all this incredible adversity so that I could rise up and become the person I am today, I guess I kind of have to thank them. I know that sounds really weird. But the day I started doing that and it wasn't easy and it took year, I mean, years for me to really mean it, but I was at first doing the lip service of like, thank you. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for, you know, not providing me a safe space because I had to learn how to do it on my own and I rose up. Right. And then I look at my muscles and my character and I'm like, I did that with God and all the other people in my life that helped me. And I did it in spite of what I wasn't given. So I really have to be grateful and see it as a blessing. And that was really like, you know, the beginning of my healing and and what I teach. And, um, and again, I am not an advocate for abuse. God forbid. I am not an advocate for taking pain and like sit, sit in pain. Nope. Not an aesthetic at all. But what I am is if, if you can go back to that, which may have hurt you, 
whether it's physically in person, if, if they've passed away, you can still do it. You can do it from afar. You can write letters, you can do Zooms, you can do phone calls, but if there's a way to find a way to heal with these entities that may have hurt you or caused you a lot of adversity or pain, I'd say try it out, see how it goes. Do not put yourself in an abusive situation. I'm going to say it again. I feel like I always have to qualify that, but if there's a way that you can heal, there's a way that you can forgive. If there's a way that you can let go, see it as a blessing and move on and stop that cycle of violence, then, oh, what a gift, right? So again, sorry for the long Uh, tangent, but yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And isn't it like when we like, connect to ourselves and just think we're human, my goodness, like all the things that I have done in the past and will continue like the mistakes that I've made, like some of the shame, the guilt, like the, oh my, I can't even believe that was me. I did that. I've learned, I've grown like, and I just am so thankful. People are willing to forgive me for my imperfections and our parents. I, I know that's a big thing for people. Like it goes back to your parents our parents are just people too, and they make mistakes and they do the best that they can. And wouldn't it be in however way that looked, if we could like, you know, give them some grace, they're just human. They've made mistakes. They're not perfect. We don't get this guidebook telling us how to raise our kids and we have to, you know, heal and, and all the things. And it sounds like you had like, well, two that you talk about, but I'm sure multiple, like epiphanies when you just bawled for like that hour and a half talking to God, like letting go and releasing, because when you carry that in your body, like you said, you will be sick. Like you, when you don't let go and release, then you don't, you're, you have no open space for all of the magic and the abundance and the alignment. Like you, you can't carry this big weight on your back and, and be open. So when you did that, like with God and then sat at the table, sat at that dinner and really was open now. Yeah. And, and around the people who were obviously like aligned and connected and feeling that too, that right. sense that you got, and then doing that with your parents too, allowing to like, let go, like drop some of the stuff, take it as lessons to, to feel blessed that wow, I learned how to survive on my own. These were really, really, really hard circumstances. And I've made it through the eye of the storm and to the other side, and I'm better for it. So I just, when you can look at it that way, and I know, like you say, it's hard, it's hard, but there is, there's a way to start to speaking the words, to journaling, to to whatever you need to do. Oh yeah. yeah, Just like, let, let it go. Let it go. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a game changer to, I think it, uh, I have to thank Julia Cameron also. I did, I think her in person. Um, my sister actually took me on an artist way weekend and we got to meet her on one of my birthdays a few years ago. And it was so cool. Like I had done that book four times, the artist way. And I say, I did the book cause it's not something you read to cover to cover. It's like, it's a 12 week kind of 12 steps based off the 12 steps. And you sit with yourself for 12 weeks and you do all these tasks. And I would, I was so OCD about it. Like I did every single thing, every morning page, uh, for 10 years, I did morning pages every single day and I would just unload and, you know, uncover whatever was there. And 
that was helpful. So journaling for sure, breathing, meditation, uh, meeting Dr. Joe Dispenza was incredible. Um, also met him because of my sister, but, um, I, I just am such a fan of like breath work and, and really releasing, like you say, and, and, um, every day I, um, do some sort of physical activity like yoga and walking, um, without my phone. I'm really a big fan of that. I have, I do the savers, you know, like every morning run, I'll run, um, you know, the miracle morning and I'm, I'm able to really practice, um, what I preach in the sense that like, it's not even when I'm preaching, it's all the, the people that I've followed who I really care about. Um, there is something to mindset. You don't just wake up like in a good mood, right? I, every morning I say this Jewish prayer called Modani, which just very basically says, thanks God for you know, giving me a soul again. Cause people die in their sleep. You know, even today it's like rampant, unfortunately. Um, and I actually think it's like a really kind way to go, but, um, we're so not just this physical body. So if we can start our day with like, wow, I'm alive. Right. And then, um, we, we can use our mouth and our words to literally avra kadavra, like in Hebrew, that means I will do as I say, and utilize that, that which we have all of our talents, all of our gifts, all of our passions towards making the world better, you know? then you, you can't lose, you can't lose the day. It, even if there's difficult things that happen, you're already in that mindset. So I'm very rigorous about a morning, um, routine and, uh, that has really saved my life. I mean, there have been times where I was very depressed, very sad, uh, very, very anxious. And having that morning routine definitely helped me get through those really difficult times, uh, mindfulness, uh, studying John Kabat-Zinn and, going to UCLA and doing the Mark program. And, um, I've been on lots of retreats. I just did onsite, which is an incredible retreat, six days about your phone and lots of group therapy. And, um, I've done tons of drama therapy where I play different parts of my family. And, um, I think it's so healing. You know, the thing about just religion on its own is that just like anything else, it can become a crutch, a cult, uh, a way of running from yourself, right? And just something to plug into that actually winds up, you know, potentially hurting you or others too. And I've, in my show, Finding Barb, um, there's a scene with one of my rabbis, I call him a junior rabbi, who really didn't know what he was doing and and said some very harmful, destructive things to me. And um, basically promised me that if I just became a little more religious in his way of teaching, then I would for sure get married by a certain age. And that was sort of the beginning of my shifting away from being so religious because it was actually starting to hurt me. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, and unfortunately, what winds up happening is most people, when they get to that point where a pastor, a preacher, a minister, an imam, a rabbi, some shaman hurts them, and then they're like, oh, and I'm done. No more religion. It's like, no, don't judge the religion by the people that follow it. Like maybe talk to God and still use it as your phone number to get, you know, to that oneness. And so thank God I had good rabbis that, you know, were able to cover for, for what happened and, and, and help me recover. And, um, when I say that I was really secular, I became more religious. Now I'm finding a middle place. Um, I really mean that. I, I think that there is a middle place. I don't think that it's all or nothing. 
And I think that which we're born into has beauty as well as the things that we struggle to find the tools that are the jewels that we use in our tool belt. Um, and so now I'm sort of in this place where I'm just enjoying all of it and really resonating in, in a lot of what happened. And I have to say, um, my first book, um, it's called, and then one day the world coughed, you can get it on Amazon. Um, or you could watch me read it on YouTube if you, if you don't feel like buying the book, but I, I do encourage people to get the book because I made all the drawings. Um, and it's all about the blessings of COVID and it's, it's like a really big children's book, but it's really for grownups to talk to kids about. Cause it's like a conversation piece. And, um, when I, when I wrote it, I had no idea that all the things that I wrote were going to come true. Um, it was sort of like my, Oh, the places you'll go. And I wrote it, um, during the first week of COVID I was in New York city. It was like night of the living dead. I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know if I was going to see my family again. I was, um, told by one of the schools that I was working at at the time, uh, don't come out of your apartment. And so I was having this panic attack and I, I opened up my Psalms, my book of Tehillim, and I opened up the windows in my apartment in New York and I breathed out and I said, God, please help me find the, the joy right now. Cause I don't know if I'm going to see my family again. And I'm so scared. And I said, what are we going to create together? Because, you know, whenever I've had an anxious moment, I put my hands on my heart, I breathe and I say, okay, um, now I know we're here to create. So what are we going to create? I took out a, a legal pad and a pencil and I wrote the entire book, Candace. I mean, maybe I changed like two sentences, but from start to finish in that session of writing, it was 45 minutes long. Those words became the words of the book and all of the things I wrote about came true. Like the way people handled it, what went on, how scared everyone was, and then all the blessings. And I myself had this huge revolution in my family. Um, my parents, we, we all moved back home to our hometown and, um, my sister did too. And, and we all got really close and we spent a lot of time together and we healed. And, and then in the middle of the two years, uh, I had this epiphany that maybe all the meditation work I was doing with my dad, um, would help if we did it as a family. And so I kind of invited my mom, my dad, my stepmom. And by the way, my dad's married to another woman now. Um, great lady, 20 years. She's awesome. And I said, what if we all like jumped on a, a meditation call together and just like saw what happened and they became friends and now they spend time together. And it's like, never thought that was going to happen in my lifetime. It's been 20 something years. My parents had their first Thanksgiving at my table and they have Shabbat dinners together now. And they are truly friends, like true companions, like, like they grew up together. And meanwhile, there was a 20 year gap, 20 something years where they didn't talk at all. They just would, you know, write letters to each other and they weren't always great. And now they're like brother and sister, you know? And my stepmom loves my mom and she loves her. It's like the cutest thing. So I really consider COVID a blessing because it forced us to do the thing that was so uncomfortable, which was like heal and go home. And I also have to say my dad, who's been um, struggling a little bit with Parkinson's for the last few years and also uh, AML leukemia, we learned scripture together once a week for the last two and a half years. And not only did we really grow 
as a father and daughter, like more, more in the last two and a half years than probably my entire life cumulatively, but his numbers went up. And I really believe that the learning we did, you know, if, if the chemo helped like this helped the chemo and everything else. So, um, we're in a great place and I'm so grateful. I had that time. Like who gets that time in their forties to like go home and hang out with their dad once a week and learn Torah together. I mean, and, and I always tell people like, if you really are having difficulty with somebody, just learn a piece of Holy scripture with, with them. Like, don't even talk about what's going on in the world. Just set a time once a week, even if it's on zoom, you don't have to see them in person, but like, see if that, the, the magic of the, the Holy words can help. I don't care what religion you're in, but, um, one of my favorite teachers, uh, her name was Robinson Esther Youngrice, and she was actually in Auschwitz and Birkenau and not Birkenau, um, Bergen Belson. Um, she, you know, was in the Holocaust and she was like a world leader. I mean, she flew on air force one and with George W. Bush and like had an incredible life. She just passed away, you know, a few years ago, but she would always say like, if you're having trouble with somebody, I could do her impression because she gave me permission um, before <laughs> she died, but she was such a sweetheart. And she would say, sit and learn the pages with them open up the book and turn the pages. And I really took that advice to heart and it really helped me with my dad. It was like a salve, you know, on the heart. So, um, yeah, I don't, again, I'm sorry for all the tangents, but (laughs) if you don't stop (laughs) me, I'm going to keep going. (laughs) I wasn't listened to as a kid. (laughs) I love it all. I'm just like, so fueled up. I've had like full body goosebumps multiple times. It's like, oh, all of it is just is just like, I think everybody listening is just going to be healed so much from, from listening into your story. And then if they take the next step and do something in their own way, like it's just going to bring such a healing effect to so many people around the world. And. Oh, I hope so. Please God. I hope so. Yeah. All I want to do is help heal people like through my art, through my music, through my podcast, like everything I do is I figured out the formula. It's I've, I've felt something really challenging. I've healed it. I I create something from it. And then I release it into the world, which I wish everyone just, if nothing else, I wish everyone just had a formula like that, because unfortunately there's so much loneliness today where, you know, having these platforms is so great and it can sometimes keep us so distant from one another. And then you have like the news and social media, which is like, to me, all just fear. And so people get more and more insulated and it's just, it, it can be a place where we don't want to release something creative based on something that happened to us and share what we learned. I mean, why would anyone want to do that? And to me, it's like, no, we have, that's what we have to do. It's the one thing no one can take from us. There's no algorithm for that, right? There's no one that can say, well, this is what they're going to create from what happened to them. No one could guess that yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's your superpower. So when I teach my courses, it's all about like going deep within, sitting with the difficult stuff, creating something really magical and then making space for it, making space for magical. That's the name of the book and, and the course. So yeah, I mean, that makes me so happy to see that you could hear that there's healing power in it because to me, you know, what else are we here to do? I don't, I don't know. I know. I think that is like the mission to really heal ourselves and to step into our light and, and that you've said like you've brought up that you're continuing you just went to to a camp or a retreat to heal like for me the way that I look at 
myself is when I'm 95, I still want to be evolving and growing. I want to be a different person when I'm 95 than I was at 94. Like I think you just, it's just a continual process. So I want to touch on one more thing before I ask my final question, but okay. Sure. You quite recently had an experience with Mel Robbins where she kind of <laughs> on the spot, yeah. pulled you to the side and right. she, she wasn't backing down. Like she said what, you know, like, I don't even want to say an abrasive way, but like, she just told it like it was and like asked mm. you some hard questions or what's the word, like not feedback, but like, she wasn't letting you um, make the jokes for yourself. Like she was calling mm. you out. So yeah. I just want to talk about like what that has done for you. And then like, mm. finally, the final question would be like, what are you open to now? Like, what mm. are you open to receiving? What is next to come for I you? I love that question. Thank you. Um, so yeah, in Hebrew, what Mel did was she gave me something called tohaha, which means like really constructive feedback, which is a great keyword for like bend over. <laughs> like <laughs> it's time to learn what you're not looking at. She just showed me what was a little bit of my blind spot. And it's interesting. I've had some real big epiphanies since that conversation that went in a completely different direction. Um, so I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And, and you know what, she, I, I, to be fair to her, we, we've communicated a little bit since then, which is so cool and profound. Like, you know, I read my book, I read her book, I think before my sister did and, and they're friends. And so it was just so weird how it all worked out. Kathy invited me up on stage. You were there. That's the day that I met you or did I meet you? No, I was day? at the next. Yeah. The, the next, next day. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so when, when Kath pulled me up, it was to be comic relief. Cause I guess someone had, had asked a question that was kind of difficult and dark. And, and so, um, you know, when she called me, she was like, Oh, do your impression of her. It'll make everyone laugh. And I thought now, like I hadn't even done my hair, like no makeup on. I like was definitely not the day I would have chosen to be like televised, right. By like four cameras in front of a live audience. Um, so if you're listening and you happen to have seen or heard episode 13 of Mel Robbins podcast, um, I, it definitely wasn't planned. Like I, I, I don't know how to lie. I'm a good actor. But I'm a terrible liar. Like I really had no, I wasn't even going to go. I as it came a couple days early just to like, you know, support my sister. Um, cause I was going on that retreat a couple of days after that, actually. So it definitely set the scene for what my intention would be at the retreat. Um, which was great. Cause I was like, Ooh, should I go back into acting full time? Cause I, I left Los Angeles to go to New York to, to commit a little further into stage acting, which, you know, I wound up like auditioning for a bunch of Broadway shows and doing four concerts and was or actually five and was like interviewed by a couple of papers in New York and, and, and made a few series and, and they were in film festivals and won some awards. So New York was like a great place of creativity for me. But once the pandemic hit, I started being really introspective like everyone else. And I thought maybe I should retire from performing and just like double down on my coaching business and like go to Florida, maybe buy a small house and like just finally like settle down. And some really weird things happened while I was in Florida that kind of showed me another way. Like I was not feeling good living sort of a smaller, whatever that means, life or a more suburban, you know, kind of life. And I, I was kind of, I, I saw some things I didn't like in, in, in the small town that, you know, I was in and there was just as much politics as there was in Hollywood. It was like, wait, what? Like, 
you know, I, I, I just, I had this job and, and wound up getting let go. And it was like a really uncomfortable feeling. It just wasn't a match, but um, I thought I had this new plan, right. And what, what happens when we plan God laughs. And even though it was like a part-time thing and it was like, you know, I was barely there. It really affected me because nobody puts baby in a corner. Like, you know, the way that it was done and, and just everything that happened from that was just so incredibly painful that I was like, wait, this, this was supposed to be X and it's, it's A, B and D. Right. And so I flew to LA to go to this retreat to sort of like process what had just happened. Like the, the great wins with my dad and mom, um, living in this like new town, which I loved, but then there were things I didn't love about it. And could I handle that? And did I want to be there? And it's my hometown. Do I really need to live? Like, can I live somewhere else? And, and then like government stuff and everything that's going on with like COVID and health and, and wellness. And, and I, I just, so many really cool things happen and some really uncool things happen. So I was trying to process it. And then I get asked to jump on stage and kind of make Mel Robbins laugh, which check <laughs> did, which is so fun. <laughs> and then she says to me, like, now what's, what's your issue? And why did you choose that, that speech that I gave, you know, sorry, that's like my impression of her. Can't, so can't tell a story. Thank you without doing her impression. And I said, oh no. And I knew intuitively as a coach, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's seeing me. She's not just seeing my actor side and that I'm, I'm good at impressions. She wants to coach me and, and there's stuff to coach here. Oh crap. Like I'm going to be in the hot seat. And I was, and I looked at my sister, like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, yeah, go with the flow. Like I'm open to that. Go ahead. So I'm sitting in the chair and it became an entire episode. I mean, it was, I think I was there for 15 minutes. So she used all the footage and it was the, her entire episode is my words and her coaching of me. And then like, really, you know, God bless her, like really unpacking it. Like if I didn't get something that day, I got it listening to the episode. It's episode 13. Um, if you're curious, but she just kind of doubled down and, and really saw me making a joke of, of this, this limiting thought that I had, which I didn't even realize I was having, which is instead of, you know, retiring from that, which you love because you're a certain age and it's just what you thought you'd be doing by now, whatever that means. Um, keep going if it makes you happy. And so I have to say, this is what I was going to say before. She said, I can't tell you if you're going to get the things on your vision board, you know, if you if you go in this direction. But I can tell you something, you're going to get closer to what you're supposed to be doing. And when she said that, I thought that feels expansive because you know, anyone that knows me and sees my work, you can tell I'm not like a typical actor. Like I just am not like, I don't play the game. I'm not political. I'm not interested in going to parties and like kibitzing with people who are big agents. Like I have agents, thank God they're wonderful. And I've always been working, but like, I'm just not a, a butt kisser. Like I'm just not that person, you know, and I'm not interested in being a size zero and I'm always going to be me. And I love writing my own stuff. Like I had an off-Broadway show musical in LA and um, we went on tour with it. And I, I wrote a bunch of different versions of it as a screenplay. And the thing that I thought was done was that I thought it was like over and done with. And then during the pandemic um, about 
uh, eight, nine months ago, I hired an editor to create, help me create this, this memoir, because I thought maybe if I make it a memoir, like maybe my screenwriting skills aren't so good as a, you know, one hour, you know, drama, but maybe if I write the book, then I own the IP of it and someone can help me, you know, write. And it's funny because ever since I did that, people actually want to work with me and help me write it. So something that's always been on my vision board for a really long time is write a book about your life and then make it a series. And for some reason, I just sort of dropped it when the pandemic hit and thought, oh, I'll just get a regular job and, and, and then I'll coach on the side and keep writing and speaking, but like, I'll have the podcast, like my life would just be a little less in the like Hollywood world. Right. And it kept following me. And then when she said that, and she's like, you're going to have your own Netflix special. I was like, what? I didn't even, I've never, I never said those words to her. Never. So it's just very interesting that she, she said it a bunch of times on the, on the episode, like God willing, if that's what's meant to be, I'm, I'm totally open to that. But when you, when you say like, what would you be open to? So, so I did wind up going, going to that retreat for six days after she said that, um, having a lot of epiphanies, like get back to LA. That's where your, your mazal, your, your, your luck is went back to Florida, put my, uh, townhouse on the market to, to be, to break my lease by the grace of God within a month, it was hand, the keys were handed to someone else, which is like crazy. Like it just doesn't happen. Um, but it was a miracle. Um, sold all my furniture and I am now living out that, which was the monologue that I shared of hers, which is like, this guy just moves to LA with, you know, a certain amount of money in the bank. And thank God I had like more than, you know, what he had, but there were no excuses now. It's like sold all my furniture, got rid of my place and just moved here. And so I'm literally, you're catching me right now. Like I just landed, I'm looking at apartments right now. And, um, I, I still have my goals, which are get my book published, um, make a series out of it, get married and have children. And, um, you know, those are like the biggest ones. And what am I open to? Like, I'm really open to even more expansion, even more abundance and just having the road be very easy. Um, Mm. and one of the reasons for that is because one of, one of the biggest reasons for me moving to Florida was like, it's been so challenging just making those things, you know, up until now happen. And and maybe it was because I had those limiting beliefs and I always thought in the back of my head, well, this is the, how old I am and I have to hunker down and I really should all the shoulds, you know, we should all over ourselves like Tony Robbins says. Um, and so hearing her say like, your life is not a joke. Like it's happening right now. I've had that thought a million times. And I really, I mean, so many of my friends, Candace heard the episode and were like, she was so hard on you. You do live your life. You're, you're such an, a self-actualized person. Like I admire you. They would say like, you, you, you are courageous. You are brave. You've done so many cool things, but I feel like God was being so kind to me to have her say that to me at that moment, because really, if I'm being brutally honest with myself for those two and a half years, while I was like hunkered down, I was mind tripping all over the place. Like, and you're done with the courage. Like you'll do safe things now, you know, because you're 44, 45 and you're, you're done. Like you tried, you failed. 
move on. And I was slowly like dying inside a little bit. So she saw that and uh, like every good coach kind of pulled it out and was like, no, you don't get to die now. Like you got a lot of living to do. And so it was so beautiful. And I, I don't even know, honestly, if it's about me being an actor, right. That's just something I have always, you know, wanted or, or, or done in the sort of on the side but really it's being an artist. It's being a creator. It's, it's doing all the things that I, that I teach my students, like don't stop creating, don't stop pushing yourself to, to, to be the most expanded version. Um, and I, I hope that helps because, because to me, it wasn't just about being an actor. I think I, I belittled my dreams a lot in that conversation with her. Cause it was so like five minute coaching on the fly, you know? Um, and if I had the chance, which I hope I get to someday, like really talk to Mel further about what happened, I hope it's more about the second thing that she said, which is, I can't tell you if like going after acting is what is going to happen for you, but I can tell you if you go in that direction, you'll get everything you need to get. Right. So that's it. That's the mic drop there. It's like when <laughs> you follow mm-hmm. what is on the vision, what you dream of your goals, when you yeah. follow that path. Yeah. It, I have my vision board. It's it's down beside my bed. I move it all the time so I can stay current with it. It doesn't become Ooh, wallpaper. Like it. No hardware yeah. on the back. But one of it is mm. um, change the plan, but never the goal. So have the goal, whatever mm. that feels like to yeah. you. And then, yeah, if it is being an actor, well, you're following that because it feels so good. Then there could be like this magic that pops in and so unsurprising ways and even better than you can absolutely imagine. But you have to be following that path to lead you to the magic that's going to drop in. And I love that you say, just like Susie Moore says, let it be easy because in your story from the very Mm. beginning, you have talked to us about all of the challenges and the trials and tribulations and like how hard it has been. So right. I love that, that you're like open to changing that now. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. It can be ease and just flow in for you. So I'm yeah. so excited for all the, the <laughs> magic that's coming your way. I absolutely loved every second of it. Like I could listen to Aww. you, just sit back and listen to you for like hours. I love like all of it. So that means a lot considering like I do have a podcast, I go on tour and I speak to people and I'm always like, wow, I wonder why I'm being called here today. And it's like, it's fascinating to me because I, I look at everyone else that way, but it's like fun when someone can get something out of what I have have said and learned. So thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. It means a lot to me. So thank you. Yes. I loved every second of our time together. So glad we got a bigger pocket of time. Yeah. Um, so where can everybody follow you, find out what you're doing? Sure. Um, where can they find out the latest details on this memoir that's coming out and all of the stuff that, yeah. that you've got going so- on? please join my mailing list. You can go to barbheller.com. There's like links for the mailing list all over the place. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm, I'm pretty active on there. And I, I try to make all different kinds of content that are, is heartwarming, funny, silly, um, you know, deep talks. I do this thing called pillow talk once in a while, where I just like talk about things that I've learned that are always, you'll always find spiritual, silly, and like meaningful stuff, um, on my page. So please follow me there. Uh, you can always email me. I do have this course called making space for the magical, which is, um, 
usually an eight week course, but sometimes it's a little longer depending and, uh, it's online. And it, if you're looking to heal something, grow from it and then create something from it, because I have worn so many hats, like I'm an award-winning songwriter, podcaster, author. Um, I make films and documentaries and, and, you know, they've all like weirdly like won awards. So when I, when I teach, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to like download from a person like, okay, I feel like a new assignment for you would be like to paint that, or maybe write a poem from this, or, you know, everyone's different and so fascinating. And, and usually when I give someone an assignment, they like wind up doing something that takes them to the next level, whether it's in their business or with their relationships. So it's not necessarily like a course that you would take to like make a lot of money, it's, um, just a healing course. Um, so, but everyone learns a ton and like the feedback I get is really great. So it's really a beautiful exchange and there's just a lot of creativity downloading. So if you're, if you're looking to not put pressure on yourself to like, Oh, I'm going to have this published or, you know, I'm going to like make a million dollars and taking this course, but you just want to heal. You just want to be there for yourself and like make more space for magic in your life that's something I can definitely say that happens for my course. Um, so you can email me about that. I, I don't, they're not big, uh, groups. It's, it's small groups of people and I'm really picky about who I let in. So, um, and then I have my podcast, the one beautiful soul, which is now in uh, season three, um, just started and, um, what else? Oh, and my book. So if you're on my, my mailing list, you'll, you'll just like, I, I don't really send out a lot of emails. I'll maybe two a month, maybe one a month, uh, depending on the, on the month, but whenever something big is coming up, like my shows, or if it's a, uh, you know, a book coming out, like I'll definitely put stuff in there about that. So you'll, you'll find out that way. Um, and if you happen to be a publisher, uh, I'm looking for a publisher right now. So, and if you're interested in making a series, um, you know, I, I love having partners and, and collaborating because my show is, uh, very, uh, out there. It's, I can tell you the log line, which is a 45 year old struggling with holding on to her maidenhood uh, questions if she's done anything right and realizes that her love for God trumps everything else. So, um, Ooh. if that sounds interesting to you, that's basically the book and the series. So, uh, yeah, feel free to, email me, get in touch with me. I love, I love getting emails from people. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to say that like a couple of times a week, I get somebody saying like, I'm really like heartwarmed by what you're putting out there and you're helping me become my more authentic self, which like, I'm so thrilled if, if that's one thing I can help one person do. Oh my gosh. That's like all I want to do in my life. So yeah. Oh, I love it all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So much love to you. And I'm so excited for what is in store. Me too. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.